This podcast is part of the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Go to michigansportsandentertainment.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is the Cal Naughton Jr. to my Ricky Bobby, Perry Cyber. <laughs> I love the sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> How you doing, Perry? I'm good. How are you, Chris? I am great. Uh, before we get started, what have you been watching? Uh, oh, oh, I saw... Uh, I love it when I get to see this in, well, okay, it's, it's April when we recorded this, they're probably hearing this in May, right? Sure. Um, it's probably out of theaters by now, but, uh, Gloria Bell, Sebastian Lello's new film, his okay. remake of his earlier film, Gloria, uh, his Chilean film director, it's his first English language film, uh, Julianne Moore plays a middle-aged woman named Gloria Bell, and it, this is a slice of life. You get a few months of, of Gloria Bell's, uh, Gloria Bell's existence, and it is, uh, this is, this is, this is peerless acting. This is, we will find out if the actor's branch of the Academy is so old that they suffer from dementia <laughs> and can't remember back eight months. Because this is, this is as good as film acting gets. Oh, Julianne Moore uh, usually is. And it's a fabulous, uh, it's a, it's a really beautiful piece of work all the way around. It's a wonderful screenplay. It's beautifully paced. Uh, John Turturro is fantastic opposite her as the romantic interest in the movie. Uh, see it. <laughs> See it. It's really good. I'm I'm super. Just I came out of it on a high. It was I felt so good after seeing it. It's really excellent. Well, now you're making me regret that I took my kid to see Shazam. Shazam. How was Shazam? Ah, uh, Shazam is fine. That's not what I want to talk about. Okay. But Shazam is Shazam. Uh, no, I recently rewatched. Um, and I have an article about it. I rewatched Election. Oh uh, yes, I saw you. I saw you posted that. And yes. I hadn't seen that movie since theaters. <laughs> and I. I, Alexander Payne, I am very hot and cold on. He is not, he is sometimes a guy who's just a little too mean spirited for me. Yeah. And Election is a mean movie, but oh, I really like that movie. Yeah. That is probably my yeah. favorite Matthew Broderick, my favorite Reese Witherspoon. There's really no other selection for the favorite Chris Klein. I miss that Reese Witherspoon um, a lot. Oh, she's amazing in that movie. So good, and it plays so different yeah. post 2016 when you realize, Oh, this is about the most qualified woman running for office, most qualified person running for office. Someone doesn't want her to win because of her personality. Yes. So someone else meddles in the election. Yes. And there's not really a Trump analog, but I mean, the two, the two opponents are either dumb or, you know, want to burn the whole thing down anyway. So, um, but it, it's so good. It's still so funny and just so sharp. Well, for what it's worth, I showed this to my oldest Emma about four years ago. Uh, so she would have been a sophomore in high school. Okay. And, uh, she flipped out. She loves this movie. Oh, that's so Uh, so to give, just to, just, I simply share this to argue that it's not even now that it's good. It was good four years ago oh, before yeah. we had any sort of allegory for this. Oh, yeah. It, it is, differently. it is a brilliant movie. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, I'll post my review in the show notes. I had forgotten how good this movie was. Um, and that's a nice segue because, because today we're talking about forgetting things. Uh, we are discussing the 2004 uh, Michelle Gondry film, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, which hits its 15th anniversary this year, making me feel 
very old um, <laughs> because I have very vivid memories of seeing this in theaters. I don't know how much of an introduction this movie needs because it always is placing on lists of people's favorite of the last decade or so. But uh, the the long and short of it is, it is about a man named Joel, a woman named Clementine. They both have been in a relationship. He gets news that she is erasing him from her memory, has erased him from her memory. He decides to do the same. That is not the order any of this takes place in. Uh, it is a screenplay from a screenplay by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Michelle Gondry. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is enshrined in many people's pantheons. This is a, this is a classic, a sacred cow. Um, so I guess the first thing is I'm assuming we both saw this in theaters. Oh, yeah. And oh, what yeah. Was, what was your reaction then? Uh, I remember absolutely loving it, and at the end, and it go, uh, for, just telling you right now, we're talking about the end of the movie. I'm not, I, there's no way for me to talk about this movie without talking about how great no. the end of the movie is. Yeah. So if you have not seen it, pause, go to your nearest place you can see this movie and watch it, you're welcome, and then come back. So, the end of the movie is, for me, the greatest reworking of the end of Annie Hall I've ever seen. The end of Annie Hall remembers, of course, ends with the famous joke of, uh, is the joke that represents why we keep falling in love. It's the, I've taken my, my brother to the, to the psychiatrist. He thinks he's a chicken. How long has he had this problem? Oh, like 10 years. Why don't you come see me sooner? Well, we need the eggs. <laughs> that is the joke that Alvy Singer tells at the end of Annie Hall that encapsulates how he feels about falling in love. It's ridiculous. It's pointless. <laughs> it's it. asinine and we absolutely need it. Um, to have that come to life at the end of this film by having the two of them re-fall in love while the audio of the tapes of them describing how awful they feel at the end of their relationship and how much they hate each other <coughs> is perfect. It is, it is, you cannot be overly happy about this. You cannot be overly sad about this. Mm-hmm. You just accept it as inevitable. Yeah. And it's, Beautiful. Uh, that, that they came up with something so out, so wonderfully outrageous. Something that's so mind bending and yet utterly followable. It's not a complex movie. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's just a film that dislocates you before locating yeah. you again. Uh, for it to end on something so poignant and so ambivalent is really brave yeah. and really smart. It's a great film. It really, I, I, it was a movie I saw probably the week it was released. Uh, and I walked out of it, and I knew that I'm like, oh, this is my favorite movie ever made. And, <laughs> and I, you know, it, it's not, but at that time, I can definitely understand why that was my feeling. Um, I think at that time, I viewed it, and I viewed it very personally, because I was single at that point, and it kind of encapsulated both this angst and this, this, uh, longing for relationship and connection, but also just the cynicism and bitterness of when you're coming out of a breakup. And that kind of ping-pongs back and forth through the whole movie. And I was like, oh, Charlie Kaufman gets me. Which is not something you <laughs> want to say when you're hitting 40, is uh, Charlie Kaufman gets me. But I remember I loved it, and I took my friends to see it. And they kind of remarked, oh, it's weird. And it's weird, but like you said, I think it's very accessible. It's not yes. a confusing movie. You can follow this movie very easily. Um, I had not seen it again since my wife and I started dating. Uh, back in 2009, it's so almost 10 years it's mm-hmm. been since I've seen the movie. And I remember it played a little differently then, because then I saw it as more that end scene in the hallway. 
I was like, oh yeah, this is what love is. It's embracing each other despite the faults. And, and we're, you know, that's what we, even if, even if there's hardships and there's things we don't like each about each other, you just say, okay. And he, not, not realizing that the end credits of the movie play over a sequence of them on the beach that keeps looping back and yes. forth that they could have made the same mistake over and over. Yes. And so I revisited it this week in preparation for this. Just with this terror, like, oh, is this going to be the time it doesn't work for me? Uh, and it, it's not. It, like, it plays just as well. It plays differently. Um, yeah. Because I think I'm, I'm hopefully moving past, you know, I've hopefully moved past all the angst and cynicism and stuff to see the movie more clearly. And it's really that balance of cynicism and hope that kind of fight each other. And yeah. Uh, the main thing I said when I walked away was, thank God Charlie Kaufman didn't direct this movie. Um, <laughs> oh. And, and right. I'm not saying that okay. as a dig. I, 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 I want to say, I want to say, I'm not saying that as a dig to Charlie Kaufman. I understand, yes. Uh, Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa, both made my top ten list the years they were out. Yes. I love those movies, and I think he's a genius. I think this would have ended on a very different note. And it would have felt very differently had he directed. So, Especially from his original script. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, you know this. This is yeah. what I wanted to talk about. Yes, the infamous... The original script that they went forward with. And I think they talked about... They always knew they were probably going to change it. Yeah. But that, yes, the it ended with the two of them having basically completely lost themselves. They erased mm-hmm. every part of all of their memories. And so they're both just vegemen- They're just vegetables at the end of the movie. And you find they're out they're just comatose. Like- Fifteen times they've erased each other. Yes, which is a one way to go. <laughs> but you know what? It's, that's it's not a terrible way to end the movie. It makes it far less than what it is. <laughs> but yeah, that's a that's a that's a viable choice, if not the best choice. It, I think I think the edits over the end credits suggest that a lot more delicately. Um, kind of the idea that this is going to be a self, you know, is this a happy ending or is this a self perpetuating thing that they're entering into where they're going to make the same mistakes, erase the mistakes, and then keep making the same mistakes yeah. over and over? And, and there, I don't think there's an answer. Like, I, I think, you know, it's, there's a tension. I think Michel Gondry, what he brings is kind of this romanticism. He's a little bit more whimsical. Well, <laughs> yeah, he's he's, he's, he's way more whimsical. Yes, and, and I think you have kind of their sensibilities not clashing with each other, but pulling at each other a little bit, which makes I, I think it leans more into the feelings of oh, relationships don't work out. We're stupid to keep getting into them, and there's something we need. They give us life, and we keep you know we keep pursuing them because we need them, even though we can't explain it. Yeah, um, I, I really I, I think that's a. Uh, it's a collaboration I really like. Um, and, and again, nothing, nothing against Charlie Kaufman, who has made, directed only films I love, and Michelle Gondry has directed films that I don't love, um, <laughs> to put, to put it nicely. Um, but I think it, it works really well here. When's the last time you saw it? Uh, I saw it, I saw, I, I get, wow. Didn't mean for this to be a theme for the episode. For the, I showed it to, I showed it to my oldest, Emma, about. Okay. Probably about four or five years ago. And, uh, I hadn't seen it in a very long time since, since that. Uh, and was just amazed by, uh, just, it is, it is, it's really well, t- it's just a really good movie. It is a movie that slowly brings you into a world that seems unfathomable later. You, yeah. You're, you are 
you might be confused, you're unsure, but moment to moment, you're you're located enough to understand emotionally where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's a film that does not lose your heart, even no. if it loses your head for a little bit. <laughs> um, and it doesn't even lose your head that much. It's it's actually very. It, it is as straightforward a film <laughs> about memory loss as you could imagine. <laughs> it's, it moves really well. Like I, yeah, if you were to ask me, and I've seen this movie probably about a dozen times in my life. But if you were to ask me, okay, layout, scene to scene, what happens? I couldn't do it. There's not, that narrative weaves, I mean, not just, it's not just front and back in time, it's in and out of consciousness, memories within memories. It's it's kind of this big ball of yarn that's all tied into itself. But like you said, if you can land on that emotional through line, this is a movie that you watch emotionally. And it works really well, and it's such a, I mean, pardon the pun, like, mind-blowing idea. <laughs> like, the idea that we're going to go into their head, we're going to show the memories being erased, but we're also going to show what's happening to the people erasing the memory. And sometimes we're going to see what Clementine is really like. Other times she's just kind of a projection of what he remembers. Yes. That sounds like the biggest, most confusing thing <laughs> in the world. And Charlie Kaufman is such a genius that he just, he knows how to make that work. And he knows how to make this crazy concept realistic, in a sense. And let's also credit Ellen Curris, the editor on the movie, who is mm-hmm. who is a uh, who worked continues to work almost exclusively in truly. It, she, she's an art film editor. That's what she does. She's okay. really good at. Uh, this is a marvelous piece of editing. This yeah. movie. <laughs> Uh, for all of these reasons, it does keep both an emotional and a a narrative through line mm-hmm. that lets you get lost a little bit, but brings you back when it needs to. It has all the signposts you need. Hair color has never been more important. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> than it is when you're watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's yeah. I just I don't know how Charlie Kaufman's projects keep falling through. Uh, for the sense that I think people probably look at them and go. No one's ever going to see this. But to me, he's everything he has done is so brilliant that I would just be like, he, he should just have an open check. Like, someone should just be giving him a check and saying, write this. Write whatever you want. And Because I can't think of a bad script he's written. Uh, I, I can only... I haven't seen Human Nature. I have seen... I saw okay. Human Nature in the theater. And Human Nature is better than its reputation. I actually like Human Nature. I have no problem. I'm not great. I've never seen it a second time. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean to defend it as some lost masterpiece. Okay. But human nature works, especially if you see it in the context of that period of mm-hmm. his life. I mean, it, to see it alongside adaptation and this and being John Malkovich yeah. is, is, is necessary. I, I, I think of them as a piece. <laughs> okay. Uh, so human nature is fine. Has he done a bad one then? Because, um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, I remember seeing. Yeah, I, I'm willing to bet what doesn't work on that isn't his fault. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to, let's, well, that's why we have the <laughs> internet, people. Let's run and take a quick look at the Charlie Kaufman filmography. Shall we? I think we shall. Which, of course, uh, Gondry has a co-story credit on this, remember? Yeah, and uh, someone else does, which I believe was a friend of his who just came up with the idea, what if you got a letter from someone saying they erased you from the memory? And the guy had the idea and got the credit in the movie 
because of that. No, everything else is TV. Okay. So there's no other, there's, there's no other feature film credit. Okay. Other than the ones we've already talked about. Wow. Wow. And can you imagine, because this would have, I mean, uh, being John Malkovich was 99. Yes, it was. Adaptation was, that was before this, right? Uh, 2002. And Human Nature comes in 2001. Okay. Adaptation in 2002. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is also 2002. And then this two years later. That's crazy. He, of course, at that point takes on the mantle of greatest screenwriter who hadn't directed yet. Yeah. Which he got around to doing four years later. Yeah, and then his two movies I really like. So, yeah, me too. So good on him. Uh, good on him for that. But I do, I think the script, and yes, the editing is, you couldn't move, bring this movie to life without that. The scenes where they're running through the different uh, memories. I want to keep calling them dreams, but uh, as they keep running through the memories, are so wonderfully weird and surreal. And I think Gondry is responsible for a lot of that, too. He loves those kind of sure. in-camera special effects. Yes. Uh, the idea of how their faces kind of warp as they're... But every, all of it makes sense, too. The, the idea that, you know, as he revisits Tom Wilkinson's character in the in the memory, yes. his face disappears, and the titles of the books in the background start to fade. I love yes. that. Yeah, like, it just... There's this whole reality that I, I can't imagine... How do you even begin to think of this? I, that's why they do it and we don't. We talk about it. But <laughs> it it's, yeah, it's just brilliant. Over over and over again, I was like, this is just a really smart movie. And, and it works so well. Yeah. Um, Jim Carrey. I, I was really curious. I went to IMDb after watching the movie. And I'm like, is this the last Jim Carrey movie I really liked? And I think it is. <laughs> I, I think it is. Um, well, now you're forcing me to get back to I, I mean, I think the here. only thing I haven't seen, I Love You, Philip Morris. Um, Which is okay. I chuckled it's... at him in Burt Wonderstone. He was maybe the five minutes I chuckled at in Burt Wonderstone. Yeah. I, it's a really... I have a higher tolerance for Wonderstone than you do. But yeah, I'm not saying it's good, but I, I, I left it more than really five minutes. At he is. Um, he is far and away the best thing in And I haven't seen his TV show, but I, I, I really can't think. I mean, he... He was so, he burned so bright, you know, so fast that he came on the scene in 95 or 96. And within those, I think we talked about this last time off the air. He did uh, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, Batman Forever, Ace Ventura 2, all in the space of one year. Yeah. And then it just kind of unravels from there. I mean, I like the Truman Show a lot. But I think he's I don't want to say it. Uh, uh, unravels is too. I think it unravels later. Okay. Let's get, <laughs> I mean, he was dependable. I like Liar Liar. Man of the Moon's ninety nine. Oh, that's really right. good. Yeah. And and he is. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but he's very good in me, myself, and Irene. That is okay. a flat out really great yes. comedic performance. Uh, uh, and then even if we're going to talk about. It, you know, unraveling to me also implies you're losing the public. And we cannot forget, much as, much as we had the conversation about Robin Williams, and I brought it to your attention that the most successful film financially of Robin Williams' career is Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Do, do you, do you understand what the biggest hit, box office wise, adjusted for inflation, of Jim Carrey's career? That is a true Jim Carrey film. I, I'd need to uh, check, I'd need to check on Batman Forever, but I'm willing to bet this film even dwarfed Batman Forever. Is it Liar Liar? Oh no! Oh yes, I'm willing to bet it's Bruce Almighty. 
I, I'd wow. have to look at it, but I'm willing to bet it through so much. And that was 2003. Wow. So he really did keep it for a decade. It starts to go wrong about the time of, oh, I'm going to go with the number 23. Oh, that was bad. About 2007, it falls apart. Yes, man. Uh, that nightmare version of A Christmas Carol. Uh, then all of a sudden there's popping penguins. I don't, you don't, you don't need to get near this at this point. Yeah. Okay. And we've had this out over Jim Carrey. We had this out over the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, over, uh, over the Truman Show where again, and I, in your, uh, I, I'll, give, I'll give you a peek behind the curtains here, people. Chris sends out a, a sort of a template that we're going to work from with how the conversation is mm-hmm. going to go. Not that any of this is scripted. Believe me. I'm sure you can tell, but, uh, it was what works in the film, what doesn't work in the film. <laughs> That was what you sent as the template yes, yes. for this. And so, uh, and in my notes, all I wrote down was, what doesn't work, well, it's not that it doesn't work, but what is least effective in it is Jim Carrey. Oh, really? And okay. it's not that he's bad. I don't think he hurts the film. Again, like with Truman Show, my problem is, is, the, is the casting in that what Carrey cannot do, what I have never seen him do on screen, is calm joy. He cannot do happy. He can do manic. He can do relieved. But he does not do... The, the, and what what stuns me is that that moment does happen in this movie. Yes. It does happen yeah, okay. on the ice. Say, yes. Yes. That's the thing to me that like, okay, you, you hit it out of the park the one moment you had to do mm-hmm. it. I still think a lot of the movie he substitutes hangdog for actual depression. I think it's... I, I think it's a... I think it's a less than three dimensional performance, if not a, a, an outright two dimensional performance. That might, be, that might be fair. I now I I feel the same thing that works for him in Truman Show works for him here, which is conceivably these are roles anyone could play. Like you don't need Jim Carrey to play Joel. You don't no. need Jim Carrey to play Truman. I mean, those are roles most people could find an angle on. I think what works about him in Truman Show is this idea that he's a normal guy who is not normal at all. Because he's been raised to be yes. the star of a TV show, so his connection to reality just isn't quite <laughs> there. It's not quite meshing. You convinced me of that when we talked yeah. about this. Yes, I, I you won me over to this line and of I th- thinking. I think here he is so inverted. He he is very much Jim Carrey without the charisma. Whenever he's not in the memory state, he is. I, I think Hangdog is a good. Good way to say it, but I feel like he's so subdued and really sells the discomfort of someone who, uh, and he might really be this way, has social anxiety and deep insecurity. Um, as someone who's, and, and I've suffered from social anxiety, and, and I can, I can kind of feel myself in that, that he is someone who it physically hurts him to talk to new people. And there, there are sure. scenes where, the early scenes with Clementine, um, which are early in the movie, later narratively. Like, the fact that you can tell he wants to talk to her, but he is so terrified to say a word. Like, that works for me because I have been him in that situation. And I don't feel it's necessarily an affectation so much as all this anxiety, like, weighing him down. And then I feel it works for him well is when he has to go into his, you know, into the subconscious and just kind of be weird. Like, you can see in his eyes this kind of manic joy, or not not joy, joy is the wrong word, this manicness, this kind of unraveling. Yeah. As he realizes, 
realizes, holy shit, what is happening? And I think he sells that very well. I'm a little less enamored when he has to play the baby. Um, which I just feel is it's an interesting concept that he mugs way too much on that. That works for me visually that I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm okay with it. The joke is visual to me at that point, so I don't, I, that has never okay. bothered me. Oh, and Carrie can bother me going over the top, so that's interesting that that doesn't, that doesn't ever Yeah, that's me. a little hammy for me. What, what I love about it, uh, for him, and yes, it's, it is my favorite. It's, it's my favorite performance of his easily in anything. And I don't mean to imply that it doesn't work. I, I was, sure, you, you asked me about what doesn't work. Yep. I'm not saying that the, he's a problem. He's fantastic in the movie. Uh, uh, what I think is great is it's the only time I can think of in a movie that matters that he shows, and you, I, I'm going to name it what you were trying to describe earlier. It's fear. Yeah. He's afraid. Yes. yes. He's afraid. And I buy that fear. I, he is afraid. Yeah. And that's why the film really works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the many reasons why the film really works. There does feel like something at stake for Joel beyond just whatever he's going to have left of a memory of Clementine. It's what is he going to have left of himself. Yeah. Which, Whoa. That's which okay. is great. <laughs> um, uh, it's just a great moment it, to have that. Uh, to, to think to have that. Whether it's Carrie, whether it's Gondry, whether it's Kaufman, whoever realized that that's the level we have to get to. That this is Joel's story. It is not Clementine's story. As much as she's a major character, this is, this is, this is Taxi Driver. This is a subjective film seen through one character and you are experiencing the world as they experience it with a couple of scenes Accepted yeah. here, which are all really good and do again. Yeah, let's talk about how great Charlie Kaufman is. That entire storyline with Kristen Dunst and oh Tom Wilkinson yeah. is so good and is such a beautiful thematic counterpoint to what is going on yes. with Joel and Clementine that that's just, that's, that's gorgeous. That's just gorgeous writing. Yeah. <laughs> it is wonderful stuff. I remember thinking that, um, would this feel kind of like the thing that was bloated in this movie? Because I remember when I saw it, I was like, oh, I like that. Because I like Kirsten Dunst. And I like Elijah Wood and, and Tom Wilkinson. But and Mark Ruffalo and Titan Mighties. Mark, Mark Ruffalo, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking, is that the thing that's not going to work for me? Am I going to feel like that's too much? And no, it's it's essential. It's Because it's also kind of the ethical debate about yes. this whole procedure without making this... Like a screed, it's all still connected to Joel. Yes, and, absolutely. And I love that. I, I think Kirsten Dunst is heartbreaking. She's she's a remarkably underappreciated actress. Oh, she is so good. <laughs> and has been for since she was a little girl. She she is so good. The fact that you first see her pretending to be smarter and like you know come up with the Bartlett's, but screwing up the Bartlett's quotations. Yep. But you see her actively trying to impress uh, Mirzoyak. But then as she listens. To her describe how she knew she would do that. And then she had for, had that all wiped from her mind <laughs> and have to deal with the self-realization again. That is, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Yes. Uh, I, I love that. I think if, I, I think Jim Carrey totally works for me. I think he has to play opposite Kate Winslet in what is probably my favorite performance she's given. <laughs> uh, she is an actress I don't always like. Uh, I think oh. I, I, I think she has given great performances. <laughs> I think Kate Winslet is kind of shade always, thrown. Uh, she uh, she's someone who's just a little always mannered to me. I, I can see her acting. Oh, interesting. Um, and and that's not to say she hasn't given great performances. She has. Interesting. I 
think Clementine is my favorite performance of hers. I don't think I have ever seen her as loose, uh, as much of a per, like getting lost in that character. I don't see the Kate Winslet who I'm usually associating with period dramas <laughs> and things like that. Like it's a loose characterization, but she also has to play not just Clementine, but half the movie, she's not really Clementine. She's Clementine filtered through Joel's memory. Which could be very one note if she did it wrong, and she doesn't do it wrong. I, I love her in this. Yeah, I think she's great. I uh, I think she's uh, I think she's uh, she's one of my very favorite actors. I okay. think she's really strong, uh, consistently and amazingly and varied. Uh, so good that her two really terrible performances stand out like you wouldn't believe that it's modern for me. That would be a film that really, we did, we, <laughs> here's, here's an idea for the Patreon folks. You heard us each talk about a film that we think you should go see. I'd like to dig up a horror show from the past, a movie so terrible that you've probably never seen it and you probably never should. <laughs> A little film called the uh, the I think it's the Life and Death of David Gale. Oh gosh, yeah, which is a horrible movie. Maybe a movie even... so bad, Alan Parker stopped making movies. Wow. Yeah, Alan Parker's not made a movie since making that movie. That's with uh, America's Sweetheart, uh, <laughs> Kevin Spacey, Spacey, right? Yes, in which in which Kate Winslet plays <laughs> a hard hitting news journalist. She works for a major news magazine. You know what the name of the news magazine is? News. News. Is it, it is really? News Holy Magazine. Shit. Would you like to know her name? Her name is Bitsy. The character's name is Bitsy. She's the hard-bitten international journalist who isn't older than 30 in the movie, <laughs> named Bitsy. No okay. one has been named Bitsy in 80 years. She, yeah, it's a terrible, it's a terrible movie for so many reasons. And she's, <laughs> she's stranded in it. I mean, everybody's bad in it. It's not just mm. her. Um, she's also atrocious in Wonder Wheel, but that's not her fault. It's an atrocious group. Oh, also, America's Sweetheart Woody Yeah, it's, it's bad. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible performance. And it's because it's a bad script. It's not her fault by any means. But this is, I agree with you. This is one of her very best pieces of work. I could list a lot of other performances by her. I think are as good and as interesting. Fair enough. Uh, and it's probably just a preference thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a taste issue. She's, you're not saying she's a bad actress. Uh, you just find her married, which I, I I don't. I find her I find her incredibly natural and charming. And, and I will go to the map for Titanic anytime. Uh, she's fantastic in Titanic. <laughs> she does not get the credit she deserves for Titanic. <laughs> but she really like here. She is so good. We've talked before about um the manic pixie dream girl. Oh yeah. And, and what I love is that there's a movie where that's what she would be. Yes. But she shuts that down. Like she she basically has that scene where she tells Joel. Yeah, that's what you think I am, and I'm not. I'm just as messed up, and I, I just love it because she is. She's she's not a bitch, but she kind of is sometimes. But you can see why. Yeah, there, there is so much. Same thing with uh with Joel. There is fear to her. She is yeah. so afraid of being unloved. And you watch the movie, and you see they're both kind of driven by fear in different ways. Maybe they shouldn't be together. And, and maybe that's what the movie's suggesting, but you also see why they're drawn to it. Absolutely. Other. Absolutely. It, the argument a... that all only the mentally ill would choose to do this mm-hmm. <laughs> would want to wipe this out yeah. is is there and a question that is not addressed in the movie, but it's sitting there. You want to think about it and talk about it at the end of the movie. That's certainly something worth talking yeah. about. You know, this is this is not the behavior of healthy people mm-hmm. as 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 easily as we can associate to it and go, yeah, 
Yeah, I can do that with some things. <laughs> In our life, they say, I think everybody's got moments they wish they could erase from their memories for good. But the, that's the thing. You learn exactly. from the bad And that, you know, you're going to, you, you erase those moments, you repeat over and over. Yeah. Which is what they're at risk of doing at the end if you look at it one way. Or you look at it as, oh yeah, we're all screwed up. We all just need love. And yep. maybe that's, I, I don't know. Like, that's the tension of the movie. And I, I love that that tension is there and they don't resolve it. Yeah. And I think that's great. Um, I had a note about Charlie Kaufman going back to him. Uh, I was talking earlier about, um, Alexander Payne and how I think sometimes his movies bother me because I feel he's so cynical that it's just, it's acid and it's hard for me to watch. Like there are movies of his that I just can't watch because I'm like, he's mean, you know? Charlie Kaufman, I, I've often wondered if that's going to be my reaction to him as his career goes on. But I feel oh, like no. what he makes are not mean, cynical films. He just understands what it's like to be sad. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's what, like, that's, that sounds like a very trite thing. But he, no one is making movies. Or outright depression. depression. I would like to, I would like to amplify sad to truly mental illness yeah. depression. Depression, um, just this kind of feeling of being lost and not knowing who you are. I mean, Snacks New York is about someone identifying <laughs> himself through through the women he knows and not at the end really finding a closure to that I, I think because I don't know if I know 100% <laughs> what that movie is but I know I love it um, and then this is not this is not a cynical I hate Valentine's Day movie this is an understanding that we are lonely people we are searching for connection and sometimes that screws us up I, I love this movie if you can't tell uh, if I had one thing that I would say doesn't work I feel like Elijah Wood's subplot gets a little undercooked. Uh, I love the idea behind it, and I love Elijah Wood. I wish... I think there's a whole... And, yeah, all these side characters. There are movies to be made about them. Don't do it. But <laughs> but I feel like him manipulating Clementine is a clever idea that the movie doesn't push as far to make it meaty. I, uh... I, 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 uh... I don't care for Elijah Wood much of the okay. time. <laughs> not that he hasn't been very good in a few things for me, but I, I am not the... Elijah Wood does not get my $8 automatically if I well, see his name in the credits. We will discuss that when we uh, sit and watch all three Lord of the Rings. <laughs> we're never, <laughs> never doing that again. Uh, the, uh, but, uh, that said, yeah, I, I, the film is so good, it, I don't think about the fact that I have a lot of baggage when it comes to both Elijah Wood and Jim Carrey when I watch it. Like, it's, it melts away. That's how good the film is. And to be fair, one last sort of giant uh, 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 statement, uh, grand, grand sweeping statement. I remember when I made my list for the best of, of the decade, the best of the aughts, and this film was fourth okay. on the list. That's how much I love this film. And, I, and, same as you. I Just to say it is, it is a fabulous movie that really does only get better and better with age. And every few years, I will go through and I'll update my letterbox list of like my top 20 favorite movies. And there was a period where I think this was like number two or three for me. Yeah. And it, it's, it's dropped a bit, but it was really nice to watch this, kind of glance back at my letterbox list and go, no, nope, still in the top 20. I still love this movie. This is still, this is still <laughs> something I care about deeply and yeah. I don't revisit it as much as I would love to. But maybe that's why I kind of love it so much too. So that brings us to the end of our episode. I hope you've liked it. I hope you don't want to erase this from your memory. Um, or just like Eternal Sunshine, go right back and start the beginning again. That's right. Just you can do that keep too. listening in an endless loop. 
Um, but if you do like this, I, I might direct you towards our Patreon page, uh, where you can hear bonus content. Also, you can get these episodes two days before anything else, anyone else. So if all the kids at work are talking about this at the water cooler, guess what? You can Hot come takes, in. People. You can come in on Friday morning before they even <laughs> listen and go, "Hey, I know what Chris and Perry are talking about this week." Uh, so go on over to Patreon. Uh, two bucks gets you. Early access, five bucks gets you bonus episodes. We have some fun interviews that we're going to be trying to line up. Uh, conversations like our uh, movies you must watch, movies you must stay away from. Uh, so so give that a listen. I, I think you'll love it. In the meantime, Perry, where are you at? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can find me on Facebook. I'm very friendly on the Facebook. Uh, you can hear me every Friday morning on WLBY on the Lucien Lance Show or later, as their show is online, uh, right about 8.40 every Friday morning. And you can usually find me sitting center of the third row at your local movie theater. Sounds good. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. I head up the entertainment division at Michigan Sports and Entertainment, so you can read my retro reviews, you can read my cross-streams column, you can read my movie reviews, uh, and we also have some other great writers there who uh, you can check out. And you can listen to my other podcast, Wasting Time, which is every Wednesday on Michigan Sports and Entertainment. We will see you next week.